I just didn't know what to do with myself other than drink. So I didn't make it further than a one block radius pretty much. I would get my Adderall prescription. I would do it in like a week's time, mm -hmm. stay up being weird around my apartment. And then I would just drink for three weeks straight, heavily. Sometimes I would black out for a week at a time. You know, oh, I was just alone? Just alone. Like that whole year I was just alone. Welcome to another episode of Keep Coming Back, Real Stories of Sobriety and Recovery. My name is Mike S. I identify as both an addict and an alcoholic. I'd say 90% of my drinking career I'd just describe as great or good. You know, I was surrounded by friends, going out to fun places, traveling. But it was the last 18 months or so that were not. And it's not like there was an abrupt event that happened that caused my drinking to change. It was more of just a steady progression that just gained some real momentum at the end. And at the end, much like Ella was alluding to, it involved a lot of isolation and it involved a lot of just being alone. And I think it's a combination of a few different factors. One being that, one, I just wasn't suitable for being in public places anymore. The way I was acting, there was a shift uh, from going out and being high to being high and going out, if that makes any sense. The priority, I guess, became the high. I think I felt like, what's the point of going out? I have everything I need right here at home, so what's the point? And people definitely started to sort of annoy me more uh, and bother me more. I had this attitude like, I get it and you don't, and that everyone else is crazy but me. And so my life became about going to work, going to the gym. You know, I could really hang my head on the idea of like, hey, I went to the gym, I have some hygiene, I'm maintaining, how bad could it be? And then I would come home and, and I would get high. Uh, I would watch Netflix, I would drool on myself, I would pass out halfway through the episode, and I would do it all again. And I'd wake up tomorrow and do the exact same thing. So don't get me wrong, I wasn't a complete shut-in. You know, I had friends like Alan C. from the previous episode who would come over and eat takeout Chinese with me and snort oxys. And, and that was the idea of heaven for me, right? Just bad Chinese, oxy with a friend. And, uh, you know, during this interview with Ella, we talk a lot about isolation. Uh, but we also talked about what the good times were like, trying to, you know, it's important to say, you know, why did we stay out there for so long? Well, there were some good times. And a lot of that for me was trying to, especially at the end, recapture some of those moments from a long time ago. And and we also talk about what life looks like today. Okay, let's just start with like the basic stats, like where'd you okay. grow up? I grew up on the Upper West Side. Okay. Uh, so I grew up here in the city, and I've been here my whole life. I went to college in Calif Southern California. Yeah. So I feel like there's a uh, idea or like a preconceived notion that people who grow up in the city grow up really fast and they start partying fast. And like, it's was true that the for case? Me. It it's was. true for me. Um, but my parents were kind of party. They were partiers themselves. Not really my mom, but um, you know, once we start talking about my upbringing, like. It was true for me, absolutely, and the people that I was friends with, but I went to a private school in the Upper West Side. I mean, it's not, the kids I grew up with are not necessarily the most overexposed kids. They were, you know, in their little private school in their Upper West Side environment. So I'm picturing like Cruel Intentions, like right. 1999, <laughs> this is you. Yeah, yeah. And so like, worse. It, were you going out as like a teenager? Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, the thing with my, me specifically is that my dad partied. My dad. What was does like, that mean? Like my dad was 
into cl- like nightclubs and like he owned them? women. Um, no, he was, had just had friends in high places. My dad, my dad had a business. He sold. My dad was raised in Israel, and he came here and um, had a wholesale swimming pool products company. Very successful. Okay, but he also really loved cocaine and women and the city. Yeah. So you know if you wouldn't know that wholesale swimming pool products was his business by like the way he behaved in New York City. <laughs> right, right. And he had a lot of celebrity friends and a lot of nightclub owner friends. And he was starting to like lose it with his alcoholism around the time I was becoming a teenager. So the way that he identified with me was by letting me join him there. And, and what it like when you say he was losing it, like what did that look like? There was this one time when he ended up moving to Panama. I think I've whatever. I, he ended up moving to Panama for many years and he had friends there who were successful drug dealers. And I suspect that my dad was also a successful drug dealer for many years. He had mm. a lot more money than I think his business was bringing in. And he had a lot of celebrity friends. And I just know that maybe they weren't just his friends, right. to say the least. Yeah. Were your parents together? No. They my, got my mom left my dad when I was one because he wouldn't stop partying. You have brothers and sisters? No. Just you? Just me. And who did you live with, your mom or your dad? My mom, dad on the week, like every other weekend and, you know, dinners here and there Mm. and summers, summer every other weekend and dinners. So like what kind of kid were you? Like were you shy? Were you outgoing? No, I was a cool kid. I was popular. I, I, a lot of people say as alcoholics that they never fit in and they always felt weird, which is not my experience. I was always cool. I always fit in. (laughs) I was always the most popular and... Yeah, for me, it was just specifically my relationship with alcohol that was different. So like one of the things I feel like in meetings that people don't talk enough about, especially I thought this in the beginning, is like the good times. Right. Like, because obviously there must have been a lot of good times. That's why I stayed out so long. Right. (laughs) So like, tell me about the good times. Okay, so for me, the good times were high school because I was not only the coolest kid in school, but my dad brought me and my friends to clubs, you know? And so the hot clubs at the time, it was like Bungalow 8 and I don't know, Lot 61 and all of these places that were pretty adult actually were, we had a free pass. I just had to go to the door and say, uh, the chairman is my dad. There was like a drink named after him and me and my friends had a free pass. And, you know, we were traipsing around Manhattan like we were 35 years old. We, right. You know, we had cocaine. We were dating older men. We had these outfits. We could afford like expensive clothes and like, you know, Sex and the City was out at the time. And we just thought we were so cool and mature. Right. You know, but the thing was that, you know, then we were going back to high school <laughs> during the week. And um, so those times were fun. Um, Do you feel like, uh, and again, I didn't grow up in like in that like private school Upper West Side lifestyle, but like, is that just for the girls or were the guys doing this too? The guys don't have as easy of a time going out. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So you're really in this like special clique of women that are are girls, I guess, that are doing this. Um, So and like, what was your thing? Were you like just a drinker or like, did it go beyond that? For me, alcohol was always my prime thing, like my primary purpose. Yeah. But, um, you know, I never said no to a line of Coke. Um, And, you know, I never said no to a line of Coke. But, and, you know, occasionally on the weekends in high school, we would buy it. We would all pitch in our 20 bucks. Right. (laughs) I ended up getting into Adderall in college. And that was part of, you know, what got me sober. But... Um, for me, like alcohol is always, always my number one. When you say like got you sober, meaning like you were drinking and then you take Adderall and get sober or like it was a race to the bottom because of Adderall? Well, like, f- okay, from 18 to 27, 26, I was, you know, 
still sort of maintaining, maybe from the outside people, you know, a lot of people knew I was an alcoholic just because they would see me have an episode or I was crazy or whatever, but I was still going to, I had a job. Like what, hold on, like what do you mean like you had an, like what's an episode? Oh, like blacking out, freaking out at my friends, um, peeing the bed. Um, I had a seizure on an airplane and I was very erratic. Like I brought this guy I met on Tinder to Dubai for, right. you know, like just my life was out, outrageous. Um, but didn't you think, like making. I used to think that like I was living a big life by doing these crazy things. Right. You know, I, I had such a poignant like blackout, like the amnesia for me was very strong. So I just every single day woke up being like, this is an issue, but I'm not gonna do anything about it. Because I I'm liked too it young? Because I liked it too much. Because it was all I knew. Yeah. Yeah. So like what, like, and what were the consequences? Social consequences. I mean, my clique of friends, those girls that I was traipsing around Manhattan with in high school and college, they cut me off when I was 22. They were like, you're a liability. We can't yeah. be friends with you anymore. And I was devastated, you know? And so all my friendships after that until I got sober were fast friends. Fast friends who were... You know, party friends who yeah. many of them eventually were like, you're too much for us. <laughs> I was a kind of like a like I was a happy drunk until I would cross over and then mm -hmm. I would be like an obnoxious mean drunk. What were yeah. you? I was the same, like happy. But, you know, with the happy also came very confrontational. Yeah, same. I was like, I thought I could say whatever. I thought yep. it was cool that I was outrageous, like in just being confrontational about and and mean about other people you know i would mean spiritedly make fun of other people or yeah. looks or what they did for like a living or who they were and you know meanwhile i didn't i hadn't didn't have very many credentials of my own at the time you know like i was living on the airs of my dad's money for a long time right and so your friends are calling you out you're like you're the friendship circles dwindling yeah my, that was like a sure sign for me too like yeah. especially at the end i looked around it was like just like the hardcore yeah. users were left <laughs> yeah. Right. And like, what about family? Did any family members like tap you on the shoulder or take you aside and say like, listen, like we're worried? It was weird because like, first of all, I had it, I hid it very well from my mother. I had a boyfriend when I was about 22, like between 21, 22, who called my mom and said, you know, Ella's an alcoholic. And she was so upset because, you know, she had, she knew what I'd gone through with my dad. And she excused a lot of my behavior, as did many people, because I was Lee's daughter and I was dealing with a lot. So anytime I would get too drunk, it was like, oh, that's Lee's daughter. She's dealing with a lot. Right. And did that like did that sound right to you? Was like like was that the narrative in your own head? Because I've heard a lot of people talk about the idea of like, well, if you had my life, you do this, too. Right. I mean, the truth is now that I've been sober, like for so I have four and a half years. The truth is, I knew that whole time that it was a big problem. I couldn't help myself from blacking out and like I had no control over how much I drank. Every time I was determined to not drink too much and every time I did. But I was rationalizing it the whole time because I was unwilling to give it up. So I would tell people it wasn't a big deal or that I was fine. Um, but, and I may have believed some of that at the time because it's easy to laugh off some incidents or whatever, but. Yeah. Um, at the same time, looking back, I knew the whole time that it was an issue. So tell me, like, paint a picture of, like, the last few months, weeks. Okay, so it was really dark. It's really the last year yeah, that I wasn't. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it was one full year, I think, where um, I wasn't working. 
I had this apartment on Lower East Side on Orchard Street, and I had all of my, even my party friends were done with me. Um, there was sort of, I had this last hurrah when I was about 26, 27, where I met this group of guys and they, we would, I had some job at a law firm and I was, you know, we were clubbing and I was doing Adderall until late night, you know, alcohol and Adderall until late into the night, waking up a couple hours later, going to work. Mm -hmm. um, and that was sort of s still fun a little bit, even though it was gross. Um, didn't it feel like you were just, I always felt like I was trying to like recapture some magic from like from year, years. years ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was really not cool. Um, and they are people who, the type of people who, you know, going back to see them in sobriety, it was like, what was I thinking? Do you it, see them? I saw one, the, the man in the group that I was a little bit involved with. Yeah. I saw him about six months after I got sober and I was like, whoa, like what the hell? Are they hell? St all still doing their thing? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had that and then those people all were like, you know, I like made out with the friend of the guy I was kind of involved with and I threw a drink in someone's face and I humiliated them at a bar for one final time and they were like, listen, we, we're not, we can't be your friend anymore. Mm. They didn't say it like that, but they stopped calling me and... Um, I was at my apartment on Lower East Side and I had just, I knew I had to get sober, but I couldn't. And even the word sobriety was not in my vocabulary at the time. I mean, it, yeah, it just wasn't even a thought. And did you know any sober people? I had one friend and I'll, t I'll talk about that in, okay. like, in a minute, but I just want to describe my like last year out and I just didn't know what to do with myself other than drink. So I didn't make it further than a one block radius pretty much. I would get my Adderall prescription. I would do it in like a week's time, mm -hmm. stay up being weird around my apartment. And then I would just drink for three weeks straight, heavily. Sometimes I would black out for a week at a time. You know, oh, I was just alone? Just alone. Like that whole year I was just alone. I would go to the corner store. I would get, I mean, it wasn't really hard liquor anymore because I couldn't really stomach it, but I would get the Oma Gang. It was like 12% beer, okay. right? And I would chug it. And, um, you know, it, was, it wasn't cool. People are like, oh, your last year was in Lower East Side. Like, this was not cool Lower East Side partying. This, you know, maybe some of the bars that I went to were are, like, you know, known in Manhattan. But it wasn't because I was, like, destination going there. It was right. because they were the closest places to my apartment. Yeah. I would go there and, you know, have a double shot of Jameson, like, maybe projectile vomit on the street, and then go get an Oma Gang and go home. Right. <laughs> Like it was, it was really sad and pathetic and I didn't know how to get out of it. And so then how did you? So I had a friend, as I mentioned, who, um, I went this to is like school. Max Payne. What do you this, mean? I'm saying this, this, <laughs> this time, like just drinking alone, like yeah. sort of skittling along. I saw Max Payne, but isn't it, isn't it like. No, a... like I don't mean Max Payne. I mean like Maximum Payne. Oh, Maximum Payne. Payne. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is it. Yeah. No, this was Maximum and I, I like, I had an inkling that I was going to get out of it. But considering that it was months going by where I was at rock bottom, right? I was just distraught about, you know, I had no more relationships. I was definitely unhirable. I hadn't worked in two years. Just Did you blew. try to like do these like sober October, sober January, I'll stop for 30 days? Like, Well, it wasn't like that just because I had no friends. So I wasn't like, it's sober October. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I was, um, you know, actually I, I had gotten arrested for one time, one time. And I had to do outpatient, but I didn't take it seriously because nobody in outpatient really wants to get sober. Right. So there was no real recovery there. And I remember calling in and being like, I'm afraid I can't come because I'm afraid I'm going to have a seizure, you know, stuff like that, which was true. But 
also like I just wasn't taking recovery seriously at that time so yeah I had periods I would go about two weeks I would even have nights where I would just have like a couple beers yeah. and I was like look I can drink normally right right <laughs> meanwhile I'm like literally in the gutter of like my like the depths of my alcoholism but but those nights kind of give you that renewed confidence I'm oh, like, yeah. I have this yeah I would go to lunch people thought that I was a um like a food reviewer like okay. a, because i would go to these fancy restaurants in the middle of the day by myself and order like three glasses of right. wine <laughs> <laughs> and like <laughs> so i had a friend who got sober she went to high school with me and she got sober for me and i was like so judgmental of her i could i couldn't believe she went like all the way you know and yeah i would see her on instagram and having fun you know and Meanwhile, I'm literally in my apartment alone with like a bottle of Jameson and like, you know, like throw up in the bed and no friends. And I would be looking at her Instagram, like scoffing at how she thinks she's having fun in sobriety. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, you know, there's no like rhyme or reason to the day that I decided nothing sp- spectacular happened. I was just ready. I mean, I think. There was a moment, I don't know if this was the day before, but it was right there at the end where I was chugging a beer in my kitchen and I fell back on my head. Um, and somehow I wasn't blacked out enough. I was like conscious and I realized, I was like, I'm gonna die. Yeah. Around that time, maybe in that week, I called or I G-chatted my friend who I knew was sober and I said, hey, I'm sober now. Because, you know, I didn't, I was ashamed of what the place I was in. Mm-hmm. She knew. You know, and she brought me to a meeting. Not like I th- I'm thinking of going sober. Like I'm sober I'm now. I'm sober now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like you had one day. <laughs> not even. Yeah. Right. Not even. <laughs> and what was the first meeting she took you to? She took me to Young and Wise. Okay. And she was speaking. Did it click right away? Right away. But I was ready. That's the thing. Nobody said there wasn't a person. Nobody in my life was like, you have to go to a meeting. This was I was at the very end. I went on my own volition. You know, there was no like, and I. that's why I absolutely sympathize with people who are going to meetings because they're having trouble with their family and friends. Or, you know, I just, because I came from an alcoholic father and people gave me a lot of free passes and I had the finances to sort of keep, keep me afloat for a little, you know, nobody was forcing it. Yeah. So because I went in of my own like ch- choice, I, it just clicked right away. So what were your, your first impressions of, AA meetings in general. Well, Young and Wise and specifically is a very kind of hip young people's meeting. Um, so I didn't have that, like, I don't belong here. I felt, I walked in there and I was like, wow, these people, first of all, I noticed they were all sober for mm-hmm. real. And I was shocked by that. And then I said, these people really have it together. I mean, I don't know if you have this experience, but for me, like, some people, I, I would come in and I just thought everyone was the coolest person ever. Yeah. Like so together. So I could, I was amazed by everyone's sobriety. I heard their stories and I believed them. And I was like, wow, these people are for real. You know? I mean, I've had both experiences. I remember coming into like an early, some rooms and I was like, these people are sober. Like they would raise their hands. They would say they had 10 years and they looked like they had 10 days. And I was like, like, <laughs> right. really? Right. Like this is what sobriety looks like. But then you go to s- other meetings and people right. look like really shiny and they're like dressed right. in the way that I sort of want them to dress. And like, oh, this I could get around. Yeah. You know? I mean, of course there's that. I mean, AA has all walks of life mm-hmm. and um, a lot of you know, struggling people. And, but yeah, this particular meeting showed me that there are people like me. Yeah. But you know, it wasn't the last time I drank. I 
drank like three or four more times. You did? Yeah. Um, Over the course of how long? It was like I was in the program for 64 days, like, quote, unquote, um, the last time I drank. But the truth was it wasn't 64 days because I drank like three or four times in there. But I was just counting days. I was not honest. I just wasn't ready. Right. I was, you know, I, I knew that that was the solution for me. But... I was still smoking weed heavily. I was, that's how I got sober. I was. So would you like raise your hand and lie about your day count? Oh yeah. Yeah. I did that for like a year (laughs) and I even like qualify. Like I was like a disaster. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. I mean, that's what's so awesome about it is that everyone's so patient with everyone where they're at. Yeah. Yeah. So that first year, like you have to get used to life sober. So like what are the trickiest parts? Dating. Yeah. <laughs> Sex. That's my favorite topic to talk about, really. Because yeah. dating, like, with alcohol is, like, ridiculous. But dating yeah. without alcohol is insane. Also ridiculous. Right. Yeah. No, way harder. <laughs> I mean, it's just two totally opposite ends of the spectrum. It's like one is extremely sloppy and easy mm-hmm. and regretful. The other is nervous making and full of integrity (laughs) it's nervous yeah no because i mean listen going and meeting and like hanging out with someone you don't really know that well it's like at least i can have alcohol to like push down those nerves and now i have to just sit in it yeah you ever do anything like like i used to do some weird stuff so like i would go to a bar yeah like i would get there early in sobriety like i would i would meet someone at a bar and i would get there early and i would work something out with a bartender Oh, like, I, please don't make it look like I'm not drinking. Right. I would order like a club soda <laughs> on the rocks and I'm like, put a lime, put it on like a Tom Collins glass right. and I'll be like, this will work. <laughs> and it would always blow up in my face and they would switch bartenders and like, oh, wow. and she'd be like, you weren't drinking? Then you'd look like a big weirdo. Right, right, right. I, you know, I, with my boyfriend now, like the first date I said, I'm in the program. So much easier in It's way. just, yeah. And yeah. he had no, I mean, that's a different challenge as dating someone who's not like sober but um i i went through phases of going on dates and not saying anything or just saying i wasn't drinking tonight well the thing is is when you and i noticed this because i've dated some people in the rooms you go out right away and then you basically qualify to each other right you like get fired out of the gates (laughs) you know so fast and it's like the whole thing's in reverse right you learn your deepest darkest secrets right and then you learn months later that they have a sister right right, so like everything's flipped yeah. And uh, did, uh, have you ever dated in the rooms? Not seriously, but right. I've had flings. I mean, you know, with the date, I I was promiscuous in my first year because that's all I knew. And, and also it's so just different. something to keep your mind off of things. Yeah. And it was a high. And the next day I'm always fantasizing about yeah. how it was and the person. And yeah. And then eventually it's like that doesn't work either. So they obviously suggest that not dating in the first year, <laughs> That's which, all I which no one does. <laughs> yeah. But why do you think they say that? What I tell my sponsees is it's so that you can develop a relationship with your higher power. Okay. Um, and you don't tell them you're crazy right now, so you don't want to date anyone. <laughs> uh, no, I don't say that. I say if you're going to date, just make sure to talk to me about it. You know, the good thing about being new is that usually you're not very desirable. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, I have, I work with people who, um, you know, and myself included, it's like I was really clingy in my first year. I like really was about it. Anybody that, you know, wanted to date me, I was like, cool. Like, so when are we hanging out again? When are we hanging out again? Or, or, you know, too sharing too much or just not, um, you know, you're not in a place where you're 
very desirable because you, you can take you can tell how kind of hungry someone hungry is. someone is yeah, for connection you can feel the hunger yeah <laughs> do you think that i guess you know you're the second woman that i've interviewed mm -hmm. and so i just wanted to talk the idea of like do you think that the, the idea of like a female alcoholic versus a male alcoholic does that mean anything to you does it mean nothing to you it's interesting like i went on a date with I have somebody in the program, and he's not in New York. AA. Actually, he's in L.A., but we were – he was – had a different story than me, maybe let – you know, maybe more of a party story. I mean, you know, I partied as well, but par more partying towards the end. Yeah. Um, like a little less dark, perhaps. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's weird to compare, but I was telling him my story maybe too too bluntly and he was like yeah especially for a woman that's unattractive and i remember f feeling i don't know that was the one moment that i like felt judged yeah i felt judged and i also agreed like to be you know honestly i was like yeah it's really i mean it's really unattractive for anybody but i felt judged by him thinking because yeah he was saying like a woman being so sloppy is more unattractive well that's sort of what i was saying like yeah. does the world say like oh he's a party animal but she's sloppy right 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 so what about do you, do you go to women's meetings no never why not i share generally about sex um in meetings like i i rarely do you know like mm -hmm. i it's you know i don't get specific um, because I don't feel the need and you know I'll talk more specifically to my sponsees if if it comes up but um, I don't feel the need to discuss like the more like things that you'd only want to share around women um, in the rooms right. it's just kind of the way I was trained and I find that many women do want to talk more specifically about relationships and sex in women's meetings and eh, it's just not for me not your thing yeah um, so you got a sponsor Yes. Right away? Yeah, and I've had three. The first one was she saved my life, you know, but wasn't right. The second one was like a hard, like a serious uh, big book. Like a drill like, sergeant. Like a drill sergeant. Yeah, didn't work out. She was, I mean, she taught me AA. You know, she, like I pass along the exercises that she taught me to my sponsees um, just without the attitude and the harshness, you know, but the way that we do the work is from straight from her yeah i feel like there's a time and a place for all those different varieties totally. of sponsor and so when you went through your ninth step and you were made amends to people yeah like was there one or two that stuck out so many of my um amends have not taken me up on the offer really <laughs> yeah like i made amends to my mom i made amends to one of my cousins um her sister who i also own amends to just didn't call me back um I, yeah, I mean, a lot of, I mean, one amend to, amends to a friend. But yeah, I mean, you know, I was a severity one alcoholic when I was 22 and I drank until I was 28. So those years, I mean, I know, you know, I was spared like a lifetime of alcoholism that many people suffer from. But in those, you know, six years, people really lost trust in me because it was like I needed to get sober back then. And I didn't, you know, I didn't even, I was indignant about not even looking at it. Mm. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, people, you know, I would get blackout drunk and call people. I would show up places. I mean, I was like, 
And what did, did you like text them and say you wanted to meet up? Like, what did you do? In sobriety. I'm saying the people that were like, we're not interested in the in the amends or the apology. Like, how did you reach out to them? And So then... one of them was an email and okay. she wrote back and said, um, and said, oh, lovely to hear from you. Um, you know, going on this trip and I'll write when I get back. Never, never heard it again. Mm. Um, and is it unfulfilling? Um, I think it's one of those things that we learn like, you know, the consequences of our actions from the past aren't going to be amended at our the rate that we're looking for. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we can't just expect that other people are ready to, you know, join our lives again or hear your, you know, hear about the remorse that you feel at the time that you want to just because it's convenient for us, you know. So I've just had to realize that if it's not time for them, that's fine and they'll come back into my life you know, when it's right. Yeah. I only one of the amends that I tried to make was not like accepted. What was it? An old boss. An old boss. Yeah. Yeah. But it was my number one resentment. Right. Like it was like my, my number. <laughs> it was the one I saved for last. Yeah. And so I was like, well, this is it. And I like, it, it felt unfulfilling at first. I was like, what do you mean you don't want it? I made the decision. That right. It's time. Yeah. 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 Um, so. I wanted to ask you a couple more. So there's certain times you hear something in a meeting and it just like sticks and it like stays with you yeah. for a long time. Can you tell me about one or two of those? Yeah, so something that taught me a lot was um, a woman was talking about how she is, I, I'm assuming that the issue, issue she was having is that she can't get pregnant. Oh, I know it was, she can't get pregnant. And she made this analogy, which really stuck with me. She said, you know, my dog needs surgery and I can't, I couldn't feed him for 24 hours before the surgery. And for those 24 hours, he was looking at me like, what the fuck are you doing? And he didn't know that I was actually protecting him because I needed to take him in for the surgery. And she said like, you know, I've had to come to terms with the fact that like maybe me not getting pregnant is, you know, like the universe is protecting me from something that I can't see. Mm. And that's something that I pass along to my, you know, and I don't know if she said God, um, but, you know, I've I've gone through different phases of using the word God in my recovery. Um, I'm not in one right now, <laughs> um, but like. And when you say you're not in one, does that mean that? So what if I'm not in one, it usually means that the relationship as a whole is pretty weak at this point. Oh, no, that's not what I mean. It's like um, I just am not using the. So my part, my boyfriend is very non-religious and like not non-religious but he was raised by parents who were raised catholic so they were def like deflecting from their like organized religion as a whole and mm -hmm. so they and they, they come from small town and so for them being opposed to to organized religion is like a mark of pride for them and um you know it's that's not for me but because of the relationship I'm in, I've veered away from using words like God because it's frowned upon in my household. So I've like learned ways to, you know, discuss my higher power without it using buzzwords that are maybe offensive to other people because they associate it with organized religion. Right. Because for me, you know, I just have a respect for something that's bigger than myself so that I find it important for my lifestyle to believe in. Otherwise, I'm like, fuck it. And do you think that was something that when you first walked in that you, like, you latched onto right away or it took time? I was never opposed to the idea, but the actual relationship like 
built built over time where I tr- because I saw the way my life changed in recovery as long as I you know stayed sober and did the things that were recommended of me I and didn't have expectations and like did the work without um you know without you know ha- holding on to the results like everything that they said about building a relationship with a higher power came true for me so that relationship became more meaningful to me over time as I realized that you know be like acting with integrity from inside without holding on to results is actually something that allows my higher power to work in my life. Mm, yeah. What about when you're like feeling like off the beam or like off kilter or like unsober? Right? Yeah. Like using quotes right now. Yeah. Like what does that look like today? Um. Like I see my addictive personality in lots of other ways. Yeah. Like and actually I saw it a lot more once I stopped drinking. Right, right, right? of course. Like I see like, oh my God, I get addicted to sort of all these things like yeah. romance and work and it could be exercise. It yeah, It could yeah. be vaping. It could be yeah. lots of things. Um, I exercise alcoholically for sure. Um, all Yeah, every morning. And um, But my unsober behavior is for me, I find it when I have, little control over my emotions um so this past weekend um you know my boyfriend used a word that was a trigger for my past it was like something my dad used to say to my mom and it just spiraled me out into this mania that this is something that I'm like exploring now like now that I have a few years sober but it threw me into this like indignant emotion and anger and ways that I used to feel from drinking you know I used to drink and then feel so emotional and feel indignant about stuff suddenly I was pulled like you know catapulted into this like territory of emotion that I makes me feel unstable you know and I'm crying and you know luckily I'm have the some of the tools not to blame him but I wanted to you know I wanted to act out in every way and blame and yell and and just be, you know, childish and mean. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one way. But when it comes to addictive behaviors, I mean, I don't know. I've, I've, like leveled out a lot. I don't have any. I I went through a gum phase. Okay. Where I would buy like boxes of you know it has comes with like eighteen packs, yeah, yeah. and I would like pound it in like a week or less. <laughs> I see it, and I'm, I'm seeing this more clearly now, but, like, sort of what you were talking about. Like, when I'm off-kilter or unsober, like, I get, like, very cutting. Like, yeah. I get, like, I find a, like, a weird satisfaction in, like, yeah. cutting someone down almost, yeah. you know? And it could be, like, a close friend, too. Yeah. And then, like, I'm, then, like, luckily, like, I, I, I see it a little faster now. Yeah. And it's less frequent, but I've definitely made lots of apologies in sobriety. Yeah. You know, but they're just quicker now instead of me waiting for you to come around to the idea that you were the yeah. one that was wrong. Yeah, exactly. I have the same thing. Two more and then I'll get you out. Okay. So at the end of every qualification, you have to say sort of what life is like now. Yeah. So what do you say? Gosh, my life is unlike I would have ever expected in the fact that I have, you know, a job that I'm proud of. And I go, the, the biggest surprise to me is that I'm very organized and focused at work. I mean, for years, I was just like pulling a fast one over like whatever company I was working for. You know, I was like, how can I cut corners Mm -hmm. and putting things off and uh, didn't care 
And it's, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I, you know, I work in tech. It's not as if I care passionately about what I do, but I care about the group that I work for and the people I work for. And I can focus, you know, I mean, as somebody who also used Adderall, it was like for years, I was like, I can't focus without it, which is was total bullshit because I focus really well now and I get stuff done and I go into work early and I'm like very on top of stuff. So that's a big surprise to me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, being in a healthy relationship is huge for me. I, I kind of can't believe it. I mean, every time I look at him, I'm like, wow, this guy wants to be with me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, healthy relationships, like, like things just used to be so unstable and wild and casual. I mean, it was no big deal to be like, you know, what, like open with people or people come over or I don't know. I, I can't really describe what I'm saying, but like just to be more, um, loose about planning or people coming over or like let's go to this place and like now spontaneous spontaneous yeah and now i'm like i'm only going if i have a reason yeah yeah and i wake up at 6 a.m and i'm in bed by 10 and i really like it and i don't feel like left out or yeah life is much simpler now simpler and easy and happy but I, yeah but i like every once in a while i have this desire to like do something gnarly and I don't right. know what it is, but I just feel like acting out. And it goes back to what we were talking about where I'm like feeling like, why do I feel that way? Right, right. Uh, okay, last one. So I've been asking everyone if you had to give one piece of advice to someone new or like someone that was thinking of getting sober, what would it be? I mean, this is so cliche, but like, just like stick around. <laughs> yeah. Just keep doing it, even if you mess up. Like, I just have a real respect for people who, for everyone who comes in in a different, for different reasons and from different places. Like people admire that I, you know, came in and stuck with it. I mean, I didn't, I drank a few more times, but, um, you know, people who struggle with staying sober in the beginning admire people who kind of get it the first time, but it has nothing to do with like people's entrance into the program has nothing to do with um their need to get sober it has to do with like where they're at at the moment because if i had tried any years earlier which i should have it would have taken me like a little a few more times mm -hmm. you know um because i was still i mean i was harping on the party and how fun it was for so many years i just didn't walk in the door until i was like alone for a year you know and some people come in earlier and i respect them for that and so having it take a little bit more time i think is fine you yeah. know, and just to like not get, um, if like you have missteps, totally fine. I've worked with women who it takes them a couple years, a year. Yeah. All right. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, of course. My thanks again to Ella for coming on the podcast today. A couple of announcements. If you want to reach out to me or the podcast for any questions, comments, things you want to talk about, sobriety, the email is keepcomingbackpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at at KCB Podcast. Again, my name is Mike S. This has been another episode of Keep Coming Back, Real Stories of Sobriety and Recovery, and I'll see you next time.